Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melakalam Asher Bakar Bin Vim Tovim Veratza Vedivrehim Hane Emarim Beemet Baruk Ata Adonai Haboker Batora Uv Moshe Avdo Uv Yisrael Amo Uvin Vie Haemet Vazedek Biskut Mashiach Kishua Amen Amen Well Shalom Welcome to the After Podcast you know, it's both of yours truly, Shomerman and Chasis Baz, here to bring you some insights for Parsha and more. So, without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to my Chavi. Alright, Brook Hashem. So, we are, and like I said, the half tour of Amor, which specifically Echezko 44, 15, 31. And really, this is uh, at the end of Echezkel, Ezekiel. And it's all about the laws that apply to Konim and the third Beit HaMikdash. Mm. Uh, what's up? I'm just excited about the third Beit HaMikdash. Oh, Every time you awesome. say that, I'm like, oh my goodness, we're almost there. <laughs> so also, this is my Khabibi's favorite Navi, Echezkel. <laughs> so give that a shout out. Um, but uh, we have here, uh, just just recap on Echezkel, he was... Uh, exiled with B'nai Israel, and a lot of his prophecies were there to uplift them and give them a hope for a future, and he was really the one to help them regain a normal life in exile, mm-hmm. and so he was, he was every, every prophet had their daunting task, if you will, and he was the one that was like instituted with this encouragement, and so you see the like him just talking about this whole idea of the third Behemichdash you know, it was like an, an encouragement and also kind of a uh, uh, just a, a hint to do Teshuvah. Like, hey, it was destroyed because of your sins, and so let's repent. Let's come back to Hashem together, and let's 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 build this thing. Let's bring Mashiach. Amen. So this is those his task, and so let's just start off with a little bit about the Kohanim, since this is a good part of our half Torah. Okay. So according to uh, we have this this commandment that the upon the completion of the daily service of the the kohen konim they were to remove their priestly garments and clothe themselves with other garments and so uh, Rev Rabbi Hirsch actually understand this commandment as. Indicating while while their their garments are crucial in and of themselves, and and they're indispensable to validate the whole temple service. Outside the temple, the konim are to be a temple in and of themselves. Mm. And he writes this: wherever they are outside the temple, too, not by their clerical appearance, but by their whole personality, by their whole life and conduct and deed. By the pure model way in which they live, it they are to influence the people to live holy lives, and through their example, by mo- no means through their clothes, prepare the basis in the lives of the people for the realization of these truths and aims, which they express symbolically by the procedures they conduct in the temple. For the pomp of ornate pontifical garb, there is no place in the realm of the divine Torah, but rather the hypocritical haughty assumption of superior holiness worn on the surface receives the sharpest condemnation. And so just like the, the whole emphasizing condemning being hypocritical where your 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 
garment, your clothings, you know, how you appear to be is not who you are. Hmm. And, you know, very similar to the words of our, our Mashiach it says, you know, do it, do as, uh, when they said the seed of Moses, listen to everything I say and do that, but right. do not, do not do as they do. Wow. And of course, this would not be referring to the vast majority of the Pharisees at that time. It will only be like a, a select few, if you will. That is correct. Not the whole group of the Pharisees. <laughs> and then another insight from the the Quran on specifically on verse twenty three of this half Torah, he sees the Kohanim as this integral part of the whole judicial process in all all of Jewish life and law. And so he explains explains this. They shall instruct my people concerning the difference between holy and ordinary. This refers to Sefer Kodashim. Let them inform them of the difference between contaminated and clean. This is a reference to Seder Tarot in verse 24. Concerning a grievance, let them stand in judgment. This refers to Seder Nezakim. According to my laws, they are to educate it. Referring to Seder Nashim, my teaching the decrees refers to Seder Zarim, and my appointed times there to protect is reference to Seder Moed. Thus, the Konin is the walking Shulchan Aruch, a repository of Torah knowledge and embodiment of Torah personality and character. And so he's taking quotes uh, from the half Torah and referencing it to one of the six orders of the Mishnah. Good night. And so this is what this is what the Cohen is supposed to be like this this walking uh, oral Torah, if you will, to guide the people and lead them into a life of holy living. <laughs> that is incredible. Uh, and we'll get we'll get one more a couple more references here. Um, uh, mentioned in in the the Zohar, it mentions that in Ganadin Hashem bedek Chava with these twenty four dormants, and it mentions that after after this whole incident with the serpent, there's these twenty four forms of impurity that came upon like all all mankind, mm. and so through Mount Sinai that was purged and the golden calf that was put in back on us. Um, this is also why we say Dayenu if if he Hashem only brought us to Mount Sinai because literally he cleansed us of all this impurity since the Garden of Eden, right? The instant there. Yes. And but when you look at the Konim and Levanim, like this number twenty four keeps on reoccurring. Like you have the twenty four gifts to Konim, the twenty four form of um, districts of land of Israel, from where the Konim will rotate and come to officiate in in the Mikdash. Uh, there's 24 areas in the Behem Mikdash that the Levi and Konim stood to guard for on a daily basis. And so these, all these 24 factors serve to fortify the Konim and Levinim and enable them to safeguard and protect the environment and atmosphere around them. So the Kohanim literally are the essence of David? Yeah, oh, that's that's an amazing point, actually. <laughs> Because we talked about that. That's, that was our, our last discussion, right? The whole yes. elevated David yes. with the Yud. Wow. Um, wow, that's incredible. Because <laughs> you look at the whole number 24 in general, um, you have this idea that 
24 refers to the loving relationship between Israel and God. This all-encompassing love is reflected in each side's timeless commitment. And it's like about every opportunity to, to showcase the selfless dedication of one's beloved. This creates an everlasting covenant as a bond of love that will never be severed. Wow. And so this is this is from the the book of Numbers, wisdom of the book of Numbers, and I think you'll you'll really enjoy this. That twenty four was the dimensions of the uh, Mizbeach Hakatoret, the altar of incense. Good night. Yeah, four sides, six six uh, um, six handbreadths on each side, right? And that was that was all about connecting to Hashem. Like the incense. That is right. Oh my goodness! By the way, then, that resource, the book of the wisdom of the numbers, absolutely incredible. Yes. <laughs> you about to say something? Go ahead. I don't know. It was just uh, um, the the second phrase after we say Shema. I'm gonna say the Baruch Shem Kavod, right? Oh. That is made up of 24 letters in of itself. That's right. And. Shalom appears 24 times in the Humash, the five books of Moshe. Mm. And then, uh, of course, we have this whole idea that, you know, Hashem allots us 24 parts in our day, but it's up, up to us to really uh, take all those actions and unite them to give glory to one God. And that's that's a deep allusion to the, the, the 24 letters when we say Wow. Blessed be the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. And this is really the role of the Khan is to really look at Shalom and you have the idea of Shalom, like uh, completeness. Mm-hmm. And you look at the incense offering, you, you take something and you ascend it up like into a cloud. It's all about connecting the spiritual realms, the physical realms, and the spiritual realms. Right. And uplifting, elevating, elevating people, elevating. The, the area around you so they can give Hashem a dwelling place on earth. Uh, and the more his presence is made manifest, the more, uh, the more goodness is in the world. Amen. The more, the more, the more uh, prosperity, the more health, the more life. Uh, this is why we, why we pray so much for his presence to be revealed. This yeah. was uh, Eliyahu's prayer. At when when he was battling the the prophets of Baal, yes, and this is that's uh, well we'll get into that okay. But moving on, <laughs> we need though. we need to say time into our half Torah. All right. So starting from fifteen, starting from fifteen, or as we say in the hood, fit ain't fit ain't. That's South Israel right there. So, so. I love it. Oh, man. Okay. So, here we go. So, the Kohanim from the tribe of Levi, the descendants of Sadak, who guarded the charge by Beit Hamikdash, while Bnei Israel strayed from me, they shall come near me to serve me. They shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood of the sacrifices, says Hashem Lochim. Hmm. And we have this idea. Okay. Well, well who is this Sadak guy? Yeah, and so a little bit ab- about this backstory, um, we'll kind of get into this of who he is and why, why he's he's given this level of esteem, if you will. Okay. So he actually served as the first Kongadol in King Shlomo's Behemikdash. 
Wow. And he, he actually traces his lineage back to Aaron's son, Eleazar. And okay. so in the Mishkan of the Wilderness, Aaron officiated, he was the Kohen Gadol, and his two surviving sons, Eleazar and Isamar, were these regular Kohenim. So Aaron passed away. Eleazar was actually the one who was anointed as the Kohen Gadol, and Pincus succeeded him in turn. And so Pincus, he lived a very long time. He lived out. He outlived all the Shoftim, all those judges. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was definitely blessed with longevity. Wow! Uh, but he be, Hashem became dissatisfied with Pincus because he did not reprove Bnei Israel for their sins during that period sufficiently enough. Mm. And so. What ended up happening, long story short, he transferred the office to Eli. Transferred, huh? Mm-hmm. I was transferred to Eli, and this was he, Eli was actually a descendant of Aaron's second son, uh, Isamar. Wow. And so um, they actually would have held the position of priesthood forever, but you had this story about Eli's misconduct of his sons mm-hmm. um, and how they... Uh, they disdain the service and there's different interpretations of what they did uh, if you read the text just for what it is it, it does sound extremely horrible but um, there are some commentaries that kind of explain um, uh, a, a different approach of what they might have done and like I said there's a principle that the the Tanakh itself highlights sins and, and in a sense exaggerates them because it's also showing us through through God's perspective of how he views it and the Sadakim are judged more, more strictly. And, of course, we have the, the whole idea of the, uh, the Torah, the Tanakh, all of that. Is essentially, if you put it in a genre, it will be a guidebook. And so it's meant for us to draw lessons out of. Mm. And so a lot of these great people were judged to, to a higher standard so that, like, through their, their humiliation, we would, we would rise up to higher levels in our service to Shem. Which is interesting because in Parsha and more, there's the whole incident with Shlomit Bat Divri, who has her son who uh, blasphemes the divine name. Mm. So, and we and she was uh, highlighted in that section of the Torah because we were to learn from her how she was very uh, immodest with her speech and behavior. Yes. Mm. Yes. Excellent. Excellent connection. Love that. Actually, Anytime we could throw in throw in a a connection to our Torah, I love it, man. Because li- literally, you know, I just imagine how they they toiled over picking the right half Torah section, you know, just so we would understand. Hey, what what parsha are we in? You know, going back to how it was outlawed, and in the time of Antiochus, which we'll get him into a second. And actually, Oh wow. Okay, but first let's let's go through Sadik and let's finish finish his story. Um, uh, you have uh, we're talking about Eli and how his descendants, um, his two sons. You had uh, how they they were because of their actions they lost the priesthood. And so it says he he Hashem religion let his descendants keep the office of Kohuna Gadola forever, but they didn't honor they didn't honor him, and so all his descendants were were cursed with dying young. And Hashem said, "I will choose a faithful Kohen Gadol from the descendants of Pinchas, the son of Elazar, who honored me." Wow. 
And so uh, it's it's interesting because if you read through the commentaries, there's one of the battles. This is when Shmuel was still judging, you know, the, who was who was the uh, Talmudim, if you will, of of Eli. Uh, you had Eli's two sons were actually killed in a battle, and the one who killed them was Goliath. Mm. And so Goliath killed the two sons, and 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 they're in a young age, fulfilling the prophecy that they'd all die young. And then Shaul comes up, he runs to Eli, and he's the one who brings the news that his sons are dead. And Eli falls off his chair and 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 dies because he's like extremely old this time. And so you could see because of of what these sons did, how much like death was was brought into the world. Man. And so. Hashem looks at uh, the goes back to Eleazar, the sentence of Pinchas Eleazar, this side of Aaron, and the priesthood is is bestowed upon them. And so, uh, when King Shlomo disposed the the Kohen Gadol from Eli's family, Eleazar, and appointed his stead Sadak, who traces lineage to Pinchas, to officiate the newly built Behemikdash. And so the the office of the high priest remained in Sadak's family, hence more, henceforth. And so it mentions that he himself was actually outstanding Sadiq, and he imbued his sons and grandsons with absolute loyalty to Hashem. <laughs> wow. And so this, you know, this is the idea in, in Judaism of of the the thoughts of the father, um, especially at the time when the, when uh, the children are young, uh, heavily influence, heavily influence the behavior of his children. And so this guy was extreme Sadiq and he, he begat extremely righteous children because of that. And so it goes through, uh, we're going through some of his descendants here in a little bit, but a little bit about him. There's a, there's a time when Ben Israel really served idols and literally like the only way that, that the priest would get income is if they would sell out, so to speak, and and go to idol worship and serve Jews through idol worship. And that's how the only way they could really make money. And if they didn't do that, they would then their families would starve. Man. But Sadok's family was distinguished itself because its members steadfastly refused to become involved in idol worship. Um, they man. said, Hey, we're gonna suffer doll poverty and starvation, but we're not gonna do that. Wow. And so Shem sees this and he, you know, says uh, he rewarded them through Yechezkel, where it says the Kohanim from the tribe of Levi, the sons of Sadok, who guarded my charge when Ben Ezra won't stay, shall serve me in the future. Wow, that's where that comes from. That's mm-hmm. So they're willing to lay, lay down their life, lay down their income, lay down their prosperity, like, not just their life, their entire families. They're like, look, you know, we we understand there's there's three things that you give your life for, really commit idolatry, adultery, and murder, and so let's fulfill that wow. right now. Wow. So, um, man, we actually have we're going to go through some of his family lineage. All right. Later in history, and this is where we get to Antiochus the the fourth hmm. from our Hanukkah story. Wow. <laughs> So this is actually this is actually passed down through tradition from um, Rav David 
Hanagid, who is the grandson of the Rambam. And so, quote this story, we're going to our first story time. Story time. Come on. In the 213th year of the second band, Nikthash, King Antiochus waged war against the Jews. He placed a statue of the Greek god Zut in the Beha Mikdash and offered an order that a pig be slaughtered on the altar. He also established sites for Greek idol worship throughout the land. When the time came for him to return home, Antiochus appointed Philip to the position of governor of the Jews. Following the king's instructions, Philip announced that any man or woman who disobeyed the king by observing Shabbat or Rosh Chodesh or by performing circumcision would be put to death. Philip also compelled the Jews to eat pork. Many Jews gave their lives for Kedush Hashem rather than violating the covenant of their forefathers. One woman, for example, sanctified Hashem's name by circumcising her son on the eighth day of his life amidst great rejoicing. Then ascending the walls of Jerusalem with her son in her arms, she cried out, Hashem, despite all that has befallen us, we have not forsaken your covenant, and we will never forsake it. She threw herself down from the wall and perished with her son. Felix's tactic was to reward informers and compliers. He summoned Eleazar HaKohen, the head of the Sanhedrin, a venerable Torah sage. He requested that Eleazar bow to the king's statue and take of idolatrous sacrifice. When the Sadiq refused, Philip whispered to him, For this alone you deserve to die, but I will waive your death penalty if you comply with my request. You don't really have to eat the pork. Just pretend you're doing so, so you will appear to the people as if you're eating. Eleazar replied, Far be it from me to commit an act that God has forbidden, and that he considers abhorrent. What might the young people think if I, who am in any case at death's threshold, transgress God's word in order to prolong my life somewhat, why they might conclude that in order to save their young lives, they are perfectly entitled to disobey God's word. No, sir, I would rather die to sanctify God's name, if need be, and by so doing strengthen my people's resolve to suffer for the sake of Torah. Hmm. Philip was thoroughly enraged by this response and commanded that Eliezer be cruelly tortured to death. Thus did many of the Jews suffer in that difficult period among them, Hannah, or according to another version, Miriam, but Nachtom and her seven sons. At that time, the Kongadol was Malas Yahu, a descendant of Sadach, Sadoch. He witnessed a Jew publicly offering a pig on an idolatrous altar and overcome by a spirit of righteous zealousness, much like Pinchas, yeah. killed the perpetrator on the spot. He also killed the Syrian general hovering nearby. His followers threw themselves, the remaining Syrian soldiers, who fled for their lives. Thereafter, Manas Yahu, together with his five sons and a band of loyal Jews, fled to the mountains from where he constantly attacked Syrian soldiers and raised the idolatrous altars to the ground. Before he died, Manas Yahu gathered his sons around him and commanded them, Go to battle against those who would uproot us from the Torah. Know that God can help you win, though you are weak and few in number. Yehuda, take an example from Yehuda, the son of Yaakov, who was compared to a son to a young lion and who, in his anger, was capable of destroying the entire neighborhood in Egypt. Shimon, like the Shimeon ben Yaakov, who was with his brother, destroyed the city of Shechem. Yonatan, remember Yonatan, the son of Shaul, who together with his shield-bearer caused the entire army of Philistine to flee. Yochanan, aim at resembling King David's general Abner, who killed numerous enemy soldiers with a stroke of his sword. And Eleazar, my youngest, be like... Pinchas ben Eleazar, your forebearer, who was zealous for the Almighty and halted a plague amongst the Jewish people. When Masyosu's sons battled against the Syrian general, Hashem constantly assisted and guarded them. They achieved outstanding victories. The miracle of Hanukkah surpasses that of Purim. 
For in the latter case, the enemy aimed at exterminating the Jews physically, while the Syrians threatened to rip them away from the Torah, a fate worse than death. The dedication and zealousness of the family of the Chasmonim from the seat of Sadok saved the entire people from spiritual annihilation through the anti-Torah decrees and subsequent assimilation into the Greek culture. The end. Get you and some. So, just amazing story of doing whatever it takes to to not be assimilated in the culture and resist for the for the sake of Hashem's great name to be made great and glorious. Wow, whatever it takes, love. Whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was a beautiful story. I love that. Man, I, I love Hanukkah. <laughs> Me too. So. You know what? I was born five days before Hanukkah. Really? Yes, sir. It's amazing. And that is actually literally the first Yom Tov, or the minor Yom Tov, that I got to, uh, with the help of Hashem, I got to be Shomer with. So I entered into the festival cycle through Yom, uh, Hanukkah. The miracle, the miracle of lights, the light of the menorah brought you in. Yep. I think that's fitting. <laughs> all right so we get we go through here it's a, this is a question that the midrash asks says when in the future will the konim from sodok's family perform the service and one idea is that it's during the third bit hamikdash um that b'nai sadok will perform the sacrificial service really? and also it says it mentions all the konim will be permitted to Participating in activities that are permissible even for non forms, such as slaughtering and cutting up of the sacrifices. Um, but uh, so there's this idea of there's this elevation that takes place. The other idea is that it is in the, the period of the second day of Mikdash, and it only such konim as the Bnei Sadok, who did not serve idols during the period of the first Mikdash, were acceptable for the service. And so uh, there's a halakha that even if Someone repented if, if he's guilty of any any uh idol worship, then then he cannot perform these services as a koan. Yeah, that would make sense. That definitely goes oh. with our verse right here. Definitely fitting. There, there is also this mention of a um, levy, like the tribe of levy is is repeated. It says, as Hanchalim Halevi'im, the coin from the tribe of Levi. And so, Halevi'im, this, has, this phrase Halevi'im, isn't this redundant? Since all Kohanim, by definition, are dis- descended from the tribe of Levi. Hmm. And so, it goes in these, these two, two ideas. One is simply to reemphasize the fact that only Kohan from the tribe of Levi would be fit to serve the Bay Amikdash. And the other idea is it emphasizes the wonderful character traits inherited in that tribe which was famed for its loyalty to Hashem and so you go back to Mitzrayim for example um, they were the ones who circumcised their children um, they, they didn't resort to idol worship not one of its members did uh, also in the wilderness they didn't partake in the worship of the golden calf and they joined Moshe in the, in the administration of justice and uh, the other idea is during the time of Jewish kings um, they they remained loyal to Hashem, and because they, so they're they're referred to this phrase is repeated because they lived in the spirit of that tribe of Levi. 
you know, and withstood there yet to hard to serve idols, which was huge in that time because there's this huge clapot of there's just there's this huge force that would drew people into idol worshiping that we we couldn't even fathom. Hmm. You know, I was just gonna say that you know for these Levine, it was like way to live up to their name because they their name literally means to be attached to a shim. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Man, that's incredible. That's all. That's all purpose of creation. Just this closeness to a shim. Yep. This cleaving. You know, and it's 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 seems so far off from us because, you know, past times you hear all these stories of these these extremely great people, and yes, we do have righteous people who who live in our times uh, within Israel and the, the Jewish nation, but it's it's nowhere to where it used to be. Right. And but the Nachavas uh, Chaim, he uh, he had this inspirational message for for those of us living in in this time where we're, we're so distant from all these exemplary men of old, these exemplary sages that we constantly read about. Hmm. And so it's this it's just the idea that he he brings forth. Um, that it's it's important for us to commit uh, to vigorously promote this tour of the study of Torah and observance of the mitzvot, because we live in such challenging these challenging turbulent times that the effort it actually requires is and and the the, the effort requires is is so difficult, but the the reward and the effort are immersion, uh, like just incredibly greater. So because it's more difficult now than it was then, because the there's so much darkness and clipot that are that are holding on to us, that are against us, and this age as compared to old older older generations, like there's there's so much more light that's brought forth. And he he compares it to the idea of, of soldiers who enlisted in the king's army in times of peace. That would be the past generations where you had all these great men to support the nation. Whereas today's generation is like people who enlisted in, in times of fierce, where fierce battle rages. It says the battle rages fiercely and the army has suffered many casualties. It is in an unstable condition. A soldier who enlists under these adverse circumstances will certainly receive royal honors later when the victory is attained. He will be privileged to enter the royal palace and be close to the king. And it goes on to talk about... Um, uh, say that the Jews promote the knowledge and practice of Torah laws that are commonly neglected due to ignorance, such as keeping Shabbat and family purity, but we count among the Almighty's friends in the future. They will be privileged to serve Him in the front rank, similar to the sons of Sadok, of whom the Pasuk states, they will come near me to serve me. Hmm. And so, this, this idea of, of in this exile, it's tough. It's tough to make the right choice. It's tough to make sacrifices when you have so many temptations around you so many screens to look at and look at like every like just an hour of watching tv there's so much filth that's propagated within commercials or within the shows themselves that like goes directly into your subconscious and affects the way you think act walk out your daily life the thoughts they have the words that you speak and you don't even realize it um you know, and so it's just this incredible war that we have to constantly battle against. And 
you know. And so it's a difficult time, but we if we push through it and still service in those times, the reward is great. Tag. Go for it. So this is definitely ahead of the game, but uh, Parsha Bihar, chapter 25 in the Hasidic Insights, is talking about this little-known thing called the Shemitah year. And literally, you know, when you are a farmer, you work for six years. And the seventh year, you're not working. You don't touch your land. You don't plow. You don't sow. You don't do any of that. And so talk about living a life of faith and talk about going against the grain of natural reality, because now you're expecting yourself to be able to live for a whole year and a half, because once you start back up, you know, you got to get everything back in order and start going that eighth year, you know, or start the beginning cycle again. So Hashem literally says in chapter 25, verse 21, I will command my blessing for you in the sixth year and it will yield produce for three years. So that's just Peshat. And okay, how does that connect to what we're talking about? We're talking about what kind of generation are we in? Who are the greats that have gone before us? Well, I'm so glad we're talking about that because in the Hasidic insights of this verse, the Kehert Humash says this, allegorically, the six years during which work is permitted are compared to the six millennia of the world's present state of existence. The seventh year corresponds to the seventh millennium when the world will quote unquote rest from its present state. Thus, we are now in the latter part of the sixth millennium, i.e. towards the end of the sixth year. In this context, the same question posed in the preceding verse applies aware of how the divine consciousness and spiritual strength of the latter generations cannot compare to the earlier ones. We may wonder, how can it be that the sixth year, the weakest one, will be the one to provide for the seventh year. How can our feeble attempts at divine service usher in the redemption when that of our holy ancestors did not? And guess what the answer is? It says, to this, God replies that in the merit of our simple faith expressed in our dedication to our divine mission, despite all obstacles, despite all screens, despite all filth, despite all whatever nonsense is going on right now. Simple dedication to our divine mission, despite all these obstacles, beyond the constraints of logic, he will, i.e. Hashem, will increase the yield of the sixth year, this final generation, and the redemption will come. So, I was just minding my own business thinking about the Shemitah and it was like, no, you know, that generation before Mashiach comes, the quote unquote weak one. Well, yeah, you can bring Mashiach when ancestors didn't because of your simple faith and dedication to Hashem. And I was like, well, if I needed any more encouragement to be like Baruch Abba Hashem Adonai. <laughs> Love it, man. So that's such, that's, such, that's such a huge thing for us to grasp. 
uh, you know, it's just like there's a, a quote from the sages, and they, they say, according to the struggle, so is the reward. Ooh. And what greater reward would it be than to have Mashiach come to wipe away uh, this this evil connection within us to be taught by Hashem, like like the like we're living a purposeful existence with no hindrance, no cap to how much we could we could come close to Him, and how much how much joy and 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 goodness can be bestowed upon us and all of creation. Wow. And so, uh, it's just such so, so a lot to get get in that mind frame and and stay in that that mind frame. Yes, please. You know if <laughs> and just encouragement. You know if you if you we feel like we're ever running towards something, um, and we have this huge desire for something, uh, almost to the point of where. Uh, Addic- almost, I don't want to say the word addicted, but addicted to it, or just like so compelled to do something. And if it's not Torah, mitzvot, it's like prayer, or doing good deeds, or anything like that, then we need to take a step back and think about it. Yep. And we need to remember that we just came out of Pesach, which is all about deliverance from Mitzrayim, and now we're in the counting of the Omer, right? And so it's about you know internalizing that redemption of freedom that comes at a, at a a personal level too of anything that we feel we're compelled we have this huge desire to do something right yep. and if it's not necessarily torah based we need to take us take a step back and 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 remember like we we deserve to be free we deserve to be free because we could serve our creator to our fullest in that wow. and so um just idea we need to we need to keep in mind that comes at personal level. That's also why we say you know brachas before we eat something or drink something. That's right. Come you on. know we we limit our our physicality, our need for physicality, and we we, we limit our selfishness. Yep. And we we think about a shim. We think about the the bigger picture. Man, you know I I just pray all of us get our minds fixed on. Being able to comprehend Mashiach returning and literally being in the third temple. Yes. That, I mean, wow. <laughs> oh, wait, I, I know what I was going to say. I've, I've been forgetting what I was going to say. You said something and you said about, about dedication. Yes. And so just, this is part that it's, it's not necessarily about being perfect, right? It's just about being dedicated. Ooh. Right? Mm. Just, just be dedicated. You know, and find find where you're at. You know, if it's like I always start, you know, a Torah study or 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 just stay say for Torah study, for example. You know, if you're not studying at all or you're not studying on a daily basis, then just take 15 minutes a day. I'm sure you have 15 minutes of free time in in one day. You know, and just just every single day, study those 15 minutes. You know, and as that becomes an engraved pattern in your life. You know, when that becomes just easy for you, then move up to 30 minutes, an hour, or whatever, but but make that a daily routine. And that's that's really the source of it all, just engrossing yourself in the Torah. And so it's not about being perfect, it's just about being dedicated. And if you're not doing something, you know, like like your your life is literally made up by small habits you do every day. Ooh. That's what your mentality is made up with, everything. It's not the big things necessarily. It's the little habits we do every single day that form who we are, our worldview, 
And so if we really want to refine ourselves and make the most of this Omer count, then like, like that's, that's one, one explicit example we could do. Practical example. Well then. All right. Yes. <laughs> but going into, uh, going into verse 17, when the Konim Godolim saw, uh, Konim Slicha, when they, the Konim Godolim, will enter the gates of the inner courtyard, the Kodesh, they shall wear linen garments. No wool shall be on them while they are on duty at the gate of the inner courtyards or within. Wow. And so it mentions this is, this is one of the, the difficult verses. It seems like it contradicts the Torah in, in some aspects. Um, uh, but the previous pursuit was referring, this is one of the interpretations of the previous pursuit of referring to all the Kohanim, where this one suddenly switches the laws of the Kohen Gadol. And the other explanation is there's actually this elevation that's taking place. So the status of regular Kohanim will be elevated to the rank of the Kohen Gadol, and they'll all be required to wear linen garments, Whoa. containing no wool while on duty. And so our sages maintain the pursuit only prohibits the Kohen Gadol from wearing garments containing wool when he enters the Chodesh HaKodashim Am Yom Kippur. And so these are different ways where they kind of resolve that this verse. Okay. Um, and so... There's, the, there's this plural pronoun today that says this is, refers to all the future Kongonalim. The inner courtyard is the Chodesh HaKodeshim. The gates, its gates are the entrances through which the Kong Gadol would pass in order to reach it. And there's this idea that the plural form of gates indicates um, that in the third Bech Mikdash, the Chodesh HaKodeshim will have its own gate in addition to the Prokit curtain that it had in the previous Bech Mikdash. Man. Then it goes into discussing these garments and um, this whole idea of garments. We mentioned it before in our intro, uh, Hirsch's comments to the intros about what a coin is and his, his function. That's right. That was beautiful. Um, have the, the question is, this question that Minash poses, why is the Kongadol bidden to remove these garments on Yom Kippur? Why? And the service of Kodesh Kodeshim and put on white clothing instead. It's like, hey, this is a holy day. Let's let's wear our best. Why why is there a de elevation going on here? You know? Didn't didn't you and Matt just go on this rant about how to elevate yourselves and touring good deeds, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> like doesn't this just sort of, you know, put a hole in your boat? <laughs> um well uh, <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it's mentioned uh, that, that a, 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 a Sadiq falls seven times a day. And sometimes Hashem brings us down to spring us forward, kind of like a slingshot, mm. um, kind of like a, a bow and arrow. You, you, you get pulled back only to spring forward. That's right. And this is the idea here. And this is actually why he wears these, these garments of plain white clothing instead is actually based on, of course, a, a scripture. A, a, a verse. Really? And that is Mishlei 25.6. Mm. Do not act with arrogance in front of a king. In front of the king. And so you literally have Yom Kippur, the Kongadol, enters the innermost chamber to meet the king of kings. Hence, it befits him to appear in a humble outfit. Mm. And so, uh, just interesting point that this is this is why he had to supposedly de-elevate himself to descend right it's all out of, of guarding gu- garming himself adorning himself with humility 
um, but there's this there's this um, interesting side note that the Kohen Gadol has to wear linen garments while on duty in the Kodesh Kodeshim on Yom Kippur. And there's a question, why was it necessary for Yechezkel to repeat this instruction with regard to the third Beit HaMikdash? And it goes on to say, consider the, the prohibition of shotnets. So one reason Hashem forbade the Jews to wear a mixture of wool and linen is that these two materials in combination evoke a spirit of tuma, as impurity, and arouse uh, the Satan, cursed be he, to accuse B'nai Israel. Hmm. And in very fact, if you take the words shotnets, and rearrange them. This is Shin Ein Tet Nun Zion. It can it can spell the words Satan Oz, which is mighty Satan or mighty accuser. Oh. And so just you know, yeah, you I mentioned this before. That they're they're actually at the same frequency, so it doesn't allow light to to travel through it as well. Well. And so you. Th- you think of all the, the wool and linen, you know, aren't at the same natural resonant frequency. And so light doesn't travel through it. And you think of all the connotations like Torah is light. Uh, Hashem is compared to to light as well. And so it's all about being able to receive from him. Uh, so uh, at precarious and sensitive times, the Kohen Gadol ministers the Holy of Holies on Kippur. He may not wear garments containing either gold or shotnets as they evoke the accusation against the Jews. And mentions that in the era of the third Beit HaMikdash, there will be complete harmony between Hashem and B'nai Israel, and that Satan will no longer accuse it. And so it might be assumed that the ban against wearing garments containing shotnets will be altogether lifted, or at the very least that the Kohen Gadol would be allowed to uh, where garments contain shotguns in the Holy of Holies, but in order to banish this notion, Yechezkel re- reiterates this law. Good night. And so, um, it goes in how they must take care to not wrap themselves uh, to where they would sweat in these, these garments. And it actually lists a few of the Kongadol's garments, and according to the Midrash, the garments of the Kohanim atone for B'nai Israel's sins just as the sacrifice did. Cool. And so you have the chasonets, like the large shirt atone for the sin of bloodshed, the pants atone for the sin of immorality, the turban atone for arrogance, the belt atone for sinful thoughts, the kosher mishpat, that is the breastplate, atone for improper judgment, the ephod, or apron, atone for the sin of idol worship, the meal, the coat, atone for the sin of Lashon and the seats, which is the headband, Atone for the sin of brazenness. Mm, and we also mentioned earlier that these things, like there was this idea of humility coming for the king, kings, these garments. And Ramkal uh, cites this idea that that each of these eight garments parallel uh, one four-letter name of Shem that is Adonai, and the other name of Shem, which is that the which is what we often translate as Hashem, which is the four-letter name. Eight letters total. Yes. And so literally you have, like, like these garments paralleling humility. You have the humility of Hashem that, that He would descend upon us and bring us atonement for these for these eight things. And this is what the Kohen Gadol is literally wrapped in. 
So the Cohen could literally say, I am ministering in the name of the one who sent me? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. Sounds like I've heard that before, so just just checking. Right. <laughs> Go to verse 20. Uh, mentions about this whole idea of, of, you know, haircuts and this idea that the... <laughs> Yeah, just being about being well groomed says nor allow their hair to grow long. Um, this is, says these laws were affected both the first and simple second behemikdash eras. The Kongidol had to take a weekly haircut on Arab Shabbat, while the Ornate Konim were obligated to take a haircut monthly. Wow. More of the Kongidol was always given a special, beautiful style of haircut. It's kind of interesting. Wow, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. He was looking uh, super fly up there with his haircut. Right. <laughs> I'd like to get the Kevin there looking please. good. <laughs> yes. I'd like to get the Cohen Godot style. No. Wow. Um, but this is a set in part, and so that everyone would, would have reverence for them and respectful attitude. Um, now, there's also a little side note, you know, this is, you know, and even the very fact that there is something called Nazarites who have, who weren't allowed to cut their hair emphasizes that, you know, that most of, like, B'nai Israel, if you weren't a Nazarite, you actually trimmed your hair and you cut it. And so this is why all the pictures of, you know, Catholic JC are completely wrong. Portrayal of Yeshua. False portrayal. So, false portrayal. Man. This is a little side note. <clears throat> or, or sweep the leg or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, they didn't even notice, so. Hmm. <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> Go before they realize they have a concussion. <laughs> no. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> Say la. <laughs> so here in verse going to 24. And a controversy, they shall stand the judgment and accordance to my judgment, the Torah laws, they shall judge it rather than according to their own reasoning. They shall observe my teachings and laws regarding the offerings and all my festivals, and they shall sanctify my Shabbatot, my offering the required sacrifices. It was a mitzvah to appoint Kohanim among the judges of the Sanhedrin. They were to stand in a controversy and judge. <clears throat> Before the destruction of the first... Yes. You said so, Kohanim on the Sanhedrin? So it was a mitzvah. Sorry for reason over that. I was, uh, you know, I, I included that with the, the verse portion. <clears throat> the mitzvah to appoint Kohanim among the judges of the Sanhedrin. This was a mitzvah to do. Oh my word. Um... They were to stand in a controversy and judge. So before the destruction of the first Behemikdash, Yechezkel accused the Konim, her, that is the lands, Konim had withheld my Torah teachings from the people and desecrated my holy things. They did not distinguish between holy and profane, nor did they make known the difference between the impure and pure. They hid their eyes from violating my, my Shavuotot, and I became profane in their midst. The Pasuk, this Pasuk, and this Haftorah, it contrasts directly with the above one. So, Yechezkel envisioned the righteous B'nai Sadak to be the future role models of Konim as the people's holy Torah teachers and judges. <coughs> wow. And so, you kind of look at how many Konim they were and how many services they had to perform. I think it equates to, like, they were only before the service for, like, what is it? Uh, it was... Less, less than less than two weeks. I'll have to get back, but don't don't quote me on the number. But it was a short amount of time. So what were they doing in in the meantime? What were they doing for the majority of the year? Yeah. And that was literally they were they 
set up these centers of Torah learning. Much like, you know, different different rabbis of today, you know, they have different shorim over subjects and educate the people. <clears throat> wow. And so they're they're literally the, the rabbis of time, if you will. So that's where Rabbi gets his Aliyah day from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Being like a Cohen, that's that's so pretty. <laughs> yes. So that's where those that idea is is put forth. Man, that's legit. Okay. Okay, so I got a story time for us. Story time. Hit. Rish Lakish took upon himself the task of marking the caves where the sages were buried. He did this in order to prevent Konim from unknowingly entering and defiling themselves. He did not want the deceased Sadakim to cause a Kohen to sin, albeit inadvertently. When he was about to mark Rav Chaya's gravesite, however, an amazing thing happened. The gravesite disappeared entirely from view. No matter how hard he searched, he could no longer find it. Resh Lakish understood that Rav Chaya had been so great that he had no permission to mark that particular grave. Hashem himself ensured that no Kohen would enter it. Rav Chaya was apparently greater than he, Resh Lakish. Otherwise, why would he deny access to his grave as not to mark it? Despondently, Rish Lakish inquired of Hashem, Master of the Universe, how am I inferior to Rav Chaya? Don't I also study your Torah just as he did in his time? A heavenly voice was heard to proclaim, It is true, you studied the Torah as he did, but you did not teach to others in the same measure. Disseminating, disseminating Torah knowledge is, as highly, is so highly prized in heaven that not only was Rav Chaya granted an exalted seat in the heavenly academy, but Reish Lakish did not even have permission to mark his grave. Man. And so it's the idea of the weight of not only studying Torah, but um, revealing it to others. And I think it's it's in a vote. I don't know the exact chapter, but um, and verse, but those who study Torah in order to teach others <clears throat> will will retain everything, you know, they learned, you know. And then there's also the idea of those who study in order to perform will will have an even more exalted level. Wow. Because by doing, by doing, you actually teach others. That's true. That's you know, so. True. Uh, we have verse 20, 27. Uh, commentary on that, it mentions that the Konib will rise at the resurrection of the dead, will, will again be required to offer a Mincha Chanuk in the third temple, uh, the, third, the third temple. A Mincha Chanuk? Yes. Like a rededication? A Mincha Chanuk offering, yes. So the whole rededicating offering to it. Okay. This is a, be like the initiation sacrifice on the days he begins to like officiate. Um... And so the ones who served the in the first Behemnesh and returned to the Avodah when the second Behemnesh was built, and there were many such konim, were obligated to bring a second Mincha Chanuk since the Behemnesh had laid in ruins in the Intermediate and Armenian period. And so, after the resurrection of the dead, will they'll be offered required to offer um, another initiation sacrifice? Man, it's like they're a new person or something. And it's crazy. <laughs> Uh, we go into verse verse twenty nine. 
They shall eat the leftovers of the minka flower offering, the chathat sin offering, and the asha guilt offering. Every harem consecrated property in Israel shall be theirs. Talking about the kohanim. It is a mitzvah for the kohanim to eat the leftovers on the sacrifices. It mentions that through their eating, the owner's atonement is completed. And so the one who brought the offering to feed the kohanim would be atoned by the kohanim actually eating this offering. Hmm. And so, you know, you think about this process of, of eating in correlation with atonement. You know, that's why Mashiach said, you know, speaking of the matzah, this Pesach Seder, you know, this is my body. Take and eat. Right, take and eat. It's a, it's a link to the whole process of atonement. Wow. And we have in verse 30, the end of that says, do not feel deprived because not only will you not incur loss, but this will cause a blessing to do on your home. Talk about giving of all the first fruits. Um, the word kol all indicates a state of perfection where nothing is lacking. Um, as a state of our forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov enjoyed all since their misty blessing live in a level similar to that of the world to come. But the Midrash interprets these. Little shout outs to all the Eshachayas out there. Um, these words uh, this is the, the will cause a blessing to dwell in your home. It says this means your wife because she is named the, the bite, the home, because she is the foundation of the home. Amen. And so, you know, this, I heard it, uh, read an interesting insight uh, by Rabbi Ari Kaplan. Uh, it says, you know, going on the topic of why men wear tefillin and, and women don't. And it says that, you know, the tefillin, the big box of it is called a bayit. Wow. But the, the, the woman is the woman of the house is also called a bayit. She is, she is, she is literally the house. And her obligation, her tefillin, is keeping up matters of the house and making sure her house is a sanctified space. Wow. She doesn't and so, have tefillin because she is the tefillin. She is the tefillin. It's a more exalted level, if you will. So, ladies, don't fill out because you don't get to wear cool tefillin. <laughs> Just, you know, you know, uh, a man wearing kosher tefillin is equivalent to a, a woman keeping a kosher house for Ooh. a family. But uh goes into what, what a, a woman gains a man, uh, right? And this is... This is goodness, this is help, this is happiness, and these are all based on, you know, goodness based on Brashit uh, 210, and help there as well. Happiness based on Devrim 1426, where it says, you and your household, your wife shall be happy. Atonement, as it says in Vayikra 1611, he shall atone for himself and his home, his wife. Um, she gives him blessing as well, as we read in this Haftor, to bring blessing on account of your wife. And uh, Rabbi Yehoshua bin Levi added peace and life. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so these are all the wonderful things that a wife brings to a man. Um, also, you know, it's, it's a question of how does man get life and atonement through his wife? And it's the idea that, that a bachelor is not accorded the same type of judgment as a married man. And this is really, the judgment is mitigated for the married man for two reasons. Because any form of a neglect, if you will, on his Torah study that is due specifically to him attending to his 
providing for his family um, in any any way, whether it be financial, emotional, spiritual, you know, whatever. Um, this is this is not necessarily counted against him, and so judgment is mitigated on that case. And another way is Hashem takes an account that if he suffers, if the man in the house is suffering, then his whole family is suffering, his children, his wife. And if this suffering is not due them, it's not deserved for them, then he's going to be spared this, this, uh, he's going to be given a more favorable judgment, a more merciful judgment for this undue suffering caused upon him and his family. Oh. Well. And so this is just the Torah's teaching on marriage, you know. You know, the whole world is like, okay, let's, let's stress independence, you know, the secular world I'm talking about. Let's stress independence and this and this and, you know, uh, all the quote-unquote wisdom of the secular wisdom of the world, the profane wisdom of the world is emphasizing people to be separate. It's in, emphasizing division and it coats it in this whole idea of uniqueness. But the Torah says, hey, the blessing is in unity, the blessing is in marriage. The blessing is is striving to see the underlying unity in all things. And so blessing life are achieved only through marrying, according to our, our sages. Well, well, that is time as far as uh, our time. Perfect. So beautiful job on uh, getting through everything and being right on time. Awesome. Uh, so... At this point, we will be indexing our uh, Haftarah study time and going into practical takeaways before indexing our total time together. <laughs> so I'll hand it over to you uh, to get us going with the practical takeaways. Okay, so uh, we mentioned this whole idea of what, what a column does about unifying um, our life and uh, I think that's a, this, this is a really important concept that we should uh, literally do everything we can to unify our, our, our daily routine. Let's just speak in practical terms. Our daily routine with our beliefs. You know, if, if we believe, you know, in the Torah and we believe that's the most important thing, if we believe then, then, uh, that coming close to Hashem and if we believe that's our top priority, then our daily routine needs to reflect that. You know, how, how we eat, what we do before we eat, after we eat, blessings before and afters, you know, uh, prayer, uh, you know, all, all this stuff, like how much time do we invest in what we say is most important in our life, which is a Shemina's Torah. Um, and so there's, there's one practical takeaway, and I guess the, the second is, is like it, in that, uh, we mentioned this wonderful story of Sadak and how he became an elevated status was literally through sacrificing himself, literally to the point where he literally thought of himself least. Like Mashiach says, you know, the 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 least will be greatest. The first will be last, and the last will be first. He who rejects his life will be given life. This whole concept. This is what Sadak did. This, who was initiated, his, his sons were really cones forever. And then we see that in the story, the Hanukkah story, of all these men who were willing to lay down their life for Torah, you know, but their main battle wasn't even the physical one. Their main battle was the spiritual component. And, you know, I think a lot of us would like to, like to believe that if it came down to it, we would give our lives rather than commit this 
an atrocious act of adultery, of murder, of idolatry. But you know, if if we don't, if we're not willing to sacrifice, you know, a, a chunk of our day every single day for Shem and his Torah, then you know, it's not likely that we're actually getting willing to give our full life in that case. Ooh. And so to prepare our hearts in order to literally live according to how the, the Messiah taught um, about what love is. And the greatest, greatest love is for one to lay down his life for his brothers, mm-hmm. right? This comes through, this comes through prayer. You literally look at the prayer through the Sador. It's not about me, me, me. It's about all of Israel. Yes. Um, it comes through, you can interpret it um, through, um, through other sources of Ramez to, to the Torah, where it says, this is not in Devarim, where it says, this is not an empty thing for you, referring to the Torah, it is your very life. And so when Mashiach says, lay down his life, he's talking about laying down their Torah, right? And the word for laying down there can, can mean actually laying down in discourse or discussion. So we mentioned that in the half Torah as well, that that has a high position. So you lay down your life for your brothers, literally you telling your Torah, what's being revealed to you, what you've studied to bring life into, into your, your brothers and sisters and the whole world, you know, and we wonder why there's evil existing world. We wonder why there's, there's sickness and, and, and death and pain and suffering. Well, that all comes because we limit through our, through our sins. We limit Hashem's presence in the world. We limit his, his illumination. And the more we, we do uh, mitzvos and, and study Torah and good deeds and prayer, we are literally allowing Hashem a dwelling place in our worlds where His illumination can shine and, and the death, the, the pain, the, 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 the sicknesses, the sicknesses will be alleviated through that. King and so if we want to make the world a better place, we have to be like you, you said, Amit, not perfect, Although that would be if we could, but but just to be dedicated and get in the a daily routine, whatever it is, wherever we stand, and constantly elevate yourself, but be consistent with it. Consistency is key. If it's, you're not studying, for example, like I said earlier, 15 minutes every day, don't break that habit, you know, and then move on from there as that grows easier, easier, growing your observance because you're literally healing the world. Wow. It's not about it's not about us. You know, it's about, it's about what we do. Well, that's amazing. Um, I just want to follow up with you, uh, on your practical takeaway. Uh, two little drops from Pierre a vote and I'll tie it up with a little bow. Um, <laughs> a Shomer, a Shomer man bow. Okay, but anyway, um, here K a vote four or five. Rabbi Yishmael, his son says, one who studies Torah in order to teach will be given the opportunity both to study and to teach. One who studies in order to practice will be given the opportunity to study, teach, to observe. And to practice. So I don't know about you, yes. but we should probably go with the latter. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So let me repeat that. One who studies in order to practice will be given the opportunity to study, to teach, 
to observe and to practice. The next little drop I want to say is uh, same chapter, and this is Pirkei Avot 4.11 now. So Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, One who does a single commandment acquires a single defender. One who does a single sin acquires a single prosecutor. Teshuva and Masim Tovim, good deeds or acts of chesed, are like a shield against punishment. Rabbi Yochanan, the shoemaker, says every gathering that is for the sake of heaven, its end is to endure. And every gathering that is not for the sake of heaven, its end is not to endure. So I tie that up by saying how excited I get when these Haftarot that we do on a weekly basis of just really bringing to life so many beautiful insights and teachings. And especially this particular time that we're in right now where anticipation is building for the third temple. And the more we read about it, the more we get to understand about the Kohanim and the actual Corbinot uh, and the garments and the atmosphere, I just get so excited. You know, and literally, it's up on us. This generation, those of us who are really cleaving and attaching ourselves to Hashem, it's upon us to bring the redemption, and we can do it should we choose. And, you know, this week, uh, just listening to the Aliyah Day for Parsha Amor, the, the next phase of what we need to do to bring the redemption is to cultivate brotherly love to, like, the, the infinite, you know, like truly just wanting so much for everyone like you would want for your own self. You know, like I know what I want to be successful in in life, but now it's like, how can I extend that to those around me? My my mishpaka, my community, my shul, you know, and so just seeing that that's what we need to do. And as we're practicing what we're studying and as we're shielding against punishment through teshuva and good deeds, we will bring more and more the light of Hashem into the world. And as Rabbi Trugman says, we only need just the right amount of energy to manifest the final redemption. And so... That happens the more we allow the light of Hashem to come into the world. So I just want to encourage us all in that and to really, you know, take to heart, you know, what we're what we're engaging in on a daily basis. And yes, you can do 15 minutes a day because if you can watch cats dance, if you can watch birds pick up sticks, you can do it. Okay? There are all sorts of Torah based study material there are like funny videos that teach you about the Torah portion um and, and it's like this uh this one particular uh teacher he actually plays different characters and uh he'll play out the Torah portion you know so like this week for Parsha more he's got like himself talking to himself 
but he's dressed up like one of these good English gentlemen. And he's all like, (laughs) excuse me, good sir. You know, and he's just like, when you teach words of Torah, you have to be gentle. And the guy's like, gentle? What? Am I some kind of pansy? You know, and he's all like going through this stuff. But I mean, there's stuff like that. You know, there's the Aliyah a day. I mean, come on. You know, and then we got the Hofter podcast, shameless plug. So, and I know we do way more than 15 minutes, so it can be done. So I just want to encourage us all. Let's do it. Let's bring the redemption. Let's expect to see Mashiach before we pass away. And that is, that is incredible. I love this whole idea of giving kindness. So you're talking about everything and you, you referenced to a vote and you reminded me of this, this one thing that I had marked. If you can please say it. Yes, you can. Okay. Come on. So this is, this is from Pick Up Vote, a 6-6. And we were talking about really the, the, the Kohanim, right? And the, the priesthood and how, how great it is and, and how we can take lessons from them and act like them. Right. Yeah. But there's actually something that's greater. It's what we what we've been mentioning. There's a, there's there's a, a crown that's greater, if you will. Oh, come it's on. from Pirkei six six. Torah is even greater than priesthood or royalty. For royalty is acquired along with thirty prerogatives, and the priesthood with twenty four gifts. But the Torah is acquired by means of forty eight qualities, which mm-hmm. are. So if you want to be a, a Torah chacham, like a, a Torah scholar, right? Mm-hmm. Like these are the forty, the forty-eight requirements, based on Pirkei um, six six. Mm. Uh, study, attentive listening, articulate speech, intuitive understanding, discernment, all reverence, modesty, joy, purity, ministering to the sages, closeness with colleagues, sharp discussion with students, deliberation, knowledge of scripture, Mishnah. Limited business activity, limited sexual activity, limited pleasure, limited sleep, limited conversation, limited laughter, slowness to anger, a good heart, faith in the sages, acceptance of suffering, knowing one place, being happy with one's lot, making a protective fence around his personal matters, claiming no credit for himself, being beloved, loving the omnipresent, loving his creatures, loving righteous ways, loving justice, loving reproof. Keeping far from honor, not being arrogant with his learning, not enjoying halakhic decision-making, sharing his fellow's yoke, judging him favorably, setting him on the truthful course, setting him on the peaceful course, thinking deliberately in his study, asking and answering, listening and contributing to the discussion, learning in order to teach, learning in order to practice, like I mentioned, making his teacher wiser, Pondering over what he has learned and repeating a saying in the name of one who said it. For you have learned this. Whoever repeats a thing in the name of one who said it brings redemption to the world. Ooh. As it said, and Esther said to the king in the name of Mordecai. <laughs> and so these 48 things that we also strive to. And uh, what I would recommend since it, it, it's customary uh, during this time in between Pesach and Shavuot is if you just don't know where to study, study, you know, a, a chapter of Pirkei Avot each week. That's right. You know, we're we're in, um, you know, each there's there's these enough chapters to match how many uh, Shabbats are between Pesach and Shavuot, and so just just start there, and 
you know, that way you could have also, and according to like, like video and, and audio that you actually have 15 minutes of, of, of just with a like physical book in your hand, studying and, and focusing, you know, this is actually in the Sador yep. during Minka That's for right. Shabbat. And so if you just have maybe a little more focus, if you if you get distracted on your phone and stuff like that and other going to different sites, it's yep. always good to have like something physical to, to kind of hone in your focus a little bit. That's right. Well, you know, you said that there's the royalty crown and there's the priestly crown. The royalty crown has 30 prerogatives that come with it. The priests have 24. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. 30 plus 24, 54, like the number uh, of Torah portions. uh, Or or what you're about to say. Hit it. Do it. I know you're about to do it. Okay. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> you know, if you pray the Shemona Ezri, 18 blessings, three times a day, that's 54. And so you're literally engrossing yourself in Torah, right? And so that's the crown of, of royalty and the crown of priesthood that you're bestowing on yourself as well. Why did I let so, you do that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Security breach is on me. And this, this is what Nachman says as well. He says this whole idea of through like intentional deep prayer, where you're connecting your your soul to to the words, you're you're allowed like uh, revelations in Torah. Things become unlocked for you more, and so we shouldn't be uh, ceasing in, in our, our our daily prayers. I mean, pray you what? Pray without ceasing? Did you really just drop that? <laughs> Yeah, well, when you're Jew and you got so many brakas, <laughs> brakas and prayers, you know, it's kind of hard not to, wow. not to, you know, keep going with it. Man. Well, what do we know? What do we know? Hashem, may you bless my brother Natan ben Abraham. Bless him and his whole entire household. Amen. Thank you for this time, Hakadosh Baruchu. We exalt you, and we are delighted to say the closing bracha. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melakalam, Zur Kol HaOlamim, Zadik Bekol Hadorot, Ha'el HaNeeman, HaOmer Veose, Ham Daber Um Kayem, Shekol Debrav, Emet Vazerek, Neeman Atahu Adonai Eloheinu Veneemanim, Devarekeka, or Devareka, Vedavar echad, midvareka achor, lo yashuv recham, ki el melek neeman, verakaman ata, baruk ata adonai, ha el ha neeman bekol dabarav, viskuz mashiach yeshua, amen. Amen. Let us all say Baruch Abab Hashem Adonai. This is Shomer and Hasis sending you a Shavuot Tov and many blessings over your Shabbat. Shalom. Shalom.